Are you satisfied with your understanding of sustainability? If not, like me, imagine a journey together, a pluralistic one, with innovators, startup, academia, NGO, all together looking for solution to the greatest challenge of our time. I'm Samuel Ettini, and this is the Sustainability Journey. Welcome to another episode. And today I'm so pleased. I mean, we are going again round and round the globe and we'll stop now to the tiny islands of Capo Verde. We are meeting a scientist and somebody that is doing wonderful things there. She's also alumni change maker awarded by the prestigious Financial Times. So, and then she has studied in Harvard, INSEAD. So I cannot wait to discuss with her. So thank you so much. I'm pleased to introduce Elisa Dieriks. I hope I pronounced correctly, Elisa. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And yes, that's exactly how you pronounce it. Thank you, Elisa. Elisa, your curriculum is impressive. You have done a lot. You are being recognized by the Financial Times. And you have become a leader and a change maker in sustainability. I grew up in a Belgian family, but in a tiny little village in the French countryside, not far from Fontainebleau, a village of only 400 people. So I really grew up roaming around the fields, climbing trees, swimming in the lakes. Uh, and so since I was a tiny little kid, I loved nature and it was always very clear to me that's what I wanted to do, protect nature. It wasn't always super clear, how do I go about that? I come from an academic family, so that's the first thing that came to my mind. First, I want to understand nature, and that's why I studied biology at Harvard and then did a PhD in zoology at the University of Cambridge. But conservation is not a science. It's a very multidisciplinary field, and um, you need to work with people, you need to work with businesses, and that's also the reason why then I did the MBA at NCAT to gain more exposure to that side of things. That's a very rich career. It's really impressive. From your background and from you for your infancy, you know, when you're seeing the nature now becoming involved in conservation, what is the problem that you are trying to solve with, uh, with your work? A big challenge in general, but also specifically for Cabo Verde, where I've worked for the past 10 years, is how do you combine nature conservation with economic development. And often these two things are seen as opposites. Um, and I don't believe that has to be the case. There can be a lot of synergies. These things can go hand in hand. And that's been at the core of the philosophy of FMB, the NGO in Cape Verde from the very beginning, um, but also at other places I've worked, for example, at Fauna and Flora International, a large international NGO. They have the same philosophy. And my current job at Systemic, we also look for these solutions that combine nature solutions with business. Very interesting. So we are going now to see a bit more in the context where you are. So maybe before discussing about the Mayot Biodiversity Foundation and the work you are doing, can you explain a bit? Because I know not many people are familiar with the Capo Verde Archipelago. So just to discuss the challenges and opportunity of this biodiversity hotspot. Okay, so yeah, first let me take you to Mayo, Cape Verde, tell, tell you where that is. Cape Verde is an archipelago in the Atlantic Ocean, about 300 kilometers off the coast of Senegal, pretty much in the middle of the Atlantic. There's different types of islands there. Some are very mountainous and quite green. Others are flat with beautiful sand dunes and beaches. Mayo is one of those. Mayo is one of these beautiful sandy islands of Cape Verde. There's three of those. 
Sal Boavista and Mayo. Sal and Boavista have already been very much developed for mass tourism. So imagine, you know, these all-inclusive resorts for tourists who just look for sun and beach holidays. Um, these tend to be very bad, both for the environment and also for the local culture, being built in the most sensitive parts of the islands and breaking kind of the cultural links and social links of the local communities. They also don't bring much economic value to the island because these resorts are owned by foreigners and very often European companies and tourists, because they're all inclusive, tourists spend all their money in the resort. They will eat there, drink there, sleep there, buy their souvenirs there. When they go on a touristy tour of the island, it will be organized by the resort. So very little money goes into the communities. Even the people who work at the resorts are often people who come from workers from other countries. And they were 10 years ago and still are some plans to develop Mayo Island the same way as these other two islands. And that's something the NGO wanted to avoid and instead look for a more sustainable form of tourism, a tourism that is more respectful both of the environment, but also of the local culture. And Mayo has so much to offer. I mean, Cape Verde in general, it's a hotspot for marine wildlife. It's, for example, one of the last refuges of, for sharks and rays in the Atlantic, so incredibly rich waters. It's one of the most important nesting places for the loggerhead turtle. One of these big, big turtles that come there to nest every year. It has whales, dolphins, and then the islands have these rare birds that are only found there, and even little reptiles like lizards found nowhere else in the world. Culture-wise, you've probably heard of Cesaria Evora, uh, the Cape Verdean singer. So Cape Verde has such a rich culture of music and dancing and a form of tourism that embraces all of this as opposed to destroying it. Very interesting. And I recall during my stint in West Africa, you know, I was not far from there. So I can see the richness of the waters and really the importance for biodiversity. You have mentioned that the Mayo Biodiversity Foundation. So can you tell a bit about the story and really the, the mission and the work that is doing there? Back in 2010, Thomas Jekili, a researcher from the University of Bath, he had been going to Mayo Island for quite a while to study a bird called the Kentish plover. So this bird has populations all over the world, but the one on Mayo is very unique because it's the only one that's monogamous. So Tamas had been going there on his field site studying this bird, and then he noticed that there were plans to build resorts, one of these all-inclusive resorts right next to his field site. And that's when he had the idea to set up an NGO to do something about it. So he registered it in 2010. And then a few months later, he invited me to come to Mayo to set up the NGO on the ground. And that's when we started going, setting up different programs, a marine program, a terrestrial program, one a program specifically for turtles, because they're so charismatic. There is a lot of work to do there. And also then one more around, a program more around sustainable development and tourism. Wow, very interesting. I can imagine just the, the tortoise and the, and the war. You know, can you explain a bit about why, you know, you're doing marine conservation, animal conservation and sustainable development? How this come together, you know, in the community cons development and community conservation? Well, that's a really good point. It might sound like we're doing all these separate things, but Mayo is a very small island. Only 6,000 people live there, also a small surface. So that's why we can afford to take this really all-inclusiveness, holistic approach to nature conservation. 
which is the most powerful that we can work at the same time terrestrially uh, and also in the marine ecosystems. Yeah, and then the main foundations, the core values of the NGO is that A, it should be based on sound science, very important to us. And then second, that it's a Cape Verdean community-led, community-based NGO. So although we set it up at the beginning, just get things rolling, the idea was always that as soon as possible, this NGO should be fully covered and fully led by the communities. The best conservation all over the world is done by the people who are closest to it, who know most about it. And that's, that's our vision. And that's how the NGO has been working for the past 10 years in these different programs. I like your approach. You know, it's really also important how to foster the indigenous and the community conservation. You say that you work for 10 years. One of the things that we usually like, especially for the audience, is especially with stories like yours that are really change maker at the grassroots level, is can you share maybe one, two impact stories of all your work in Capo Verde and how you have transformed the area you're working? And now if you could see me, I have this big smile on my face because I'm just so happy with some of our results after all the hard work. Um, let's start maybe with turtles. Who doesn't love turtles? Turtles on Mayo got poached. So the females, when they come to lay their eggs on the beach, they're very, very vulnerable because they enter a type of trance. When they're laying the eggs, they're not aware of their surroundings anymore. A very strange phenomenon and very vulnerable to poachers in that moment. And the eggs as well, you can easily then find them and dig them up. So poaching in Verde was pretty bad. And um, despite big efforts from the government to make the loggerhead turtle a national icon and symbol. Um, so when we started working there, we looked at what NGOs were doing on other islands already with turtles. We could see why they were doing it that way, but we were not completely sold on the idea. So the traditional approach was you get a lot of international volunteers who come, live in separate volunteer camps on the beach and patrol the beaches all the all night, and then if there's a problem, call the police. So that's a very quick and cheap way to intervene and quickly protect turtles. But on, in the longer term, we thought mm, this is not a good solution because, first of all, the conservation is not done and not embedded in the local communities. It's actually the opposite. Other people living in a separate camp forbidding local people to do what they've been doing forever. Uh, it creates tensions. It's not sustainable in the long term. So we're like, oh, how can we do it? The first year, we had to get going quickly before the turtle season started. So we decided to hire uh, local people from the villages to do the patrolling as, as rangers. <laughs> it didn't turn out that well. Put yourself in the shoes of a local ranger. You patrol the beach on the small island. You find a poacher. Chances are like 90% that you know this person. He might be your brother or your best friend. And what do you do then, right? Like you're not going to call the police sometimes. It just puts you in a very awkward situation. There were, And then there were some other difficulties. This was a bit of a new concept. We were a new NGO, so people maybe didn't feel respect towards their job because, well, we hadn't proven ourselves yet. So basically, this failed quite a bit. So the next year, we thought, okay, how can we improve this without letting go of this core idea that we had this needs to be based in the communities? So then we decided to create mixed teams, still mainly local rangers, but in each team, adding maybe one international volunteer, 
and then one or two young Cape Verdean biologists, but from other islands. And then these foreigners and these biologists from other islands would live with families in houses in the villages. So also be embedded in the community. This took off so quickly and created all these unexpected synergies. So for example, because they were living together, ideas were exchanged not just during work, which is 24 seven and in both directions. So local people saw how much, for example, the international volunteers love turtles and got so excited to see them, um, but also the other way around. Some of the volunteers might come in being a bit, you know, I mean, I'm also a bit like that, but you know, tree hugger, eco-warrior, vegan, and um, with super good intentions, but then living in the communities, they saw the challenges of day-to-day -day life in Cape Verde, and it puts a lot of nuance in their way of seeing of how nature conservation should be done. And then, of course, this also provided income for local families because we paid these families where people were staying. And all of this happened, and within one year, we reduced in turtle poaching by 85%. And we then developed this whole system into an eco-friendly bed and breakfast system where tourists can also stay in the villages, more income in, in the villages. And, and now, 10 years later, the number of turtles who come to nest on Mayo has been multiplied by 10, so increased by an order of magnitude. <laughs> we now have so many turtles, we barely managed to tag and monitor them all every turtle season. So, but we're very happy. That's a struggle you want to have. <laughs> I can see the passion and the work that you have. 85%, that's incredible. And times 10, especially for the logarad, which is an endangered species. That is an impressive, impressive result. I'm touched by the story. Do you want to share something more? Because I mean, now I'm craving for more. <laughs> yes, let me tell you a story from the marine program. As I said, Mayo in Verde in general is a hotspot for sharks. So yeah, sharks get a, a bad press, but they're pretty cool. <laughs> and they have played a very important role in the marine ecosystem as top predators, keeping the oceans healthy, fish populations in check and at healthy levels. When we started working in Mayo, well, okay, we need to create bands and connections with the, the local fishermen. So fishermen in Mayo, play a very important role. Most protein in the diet of people of Mayo comes from fish. Fishermen also take a lot of risks to do their job. So socially, they have a high position. But they also, they have their own groups and communities. So it took a lot of work to earn their trust. <laughs> um, of course, like with everybody. And uh, we start talking about sharks specifically, their role in, in the ecosystem. And in the end, no one knows the sea better than the Mayo fishermen. So it didn't turn out to be much of a discussion. Once we started mentioning a few things about sharks, fishermen were really quickly sold on to the idea of how important sharks were and really realized that and they were able to triangulate it with their own observations when fishing. And then more generally, we then started talking about the importance of marine protected areas where fish stocks could replenish themselves. And, and then the benefits for the fishermen also meaning that these zones would be exclusively for them and not for larger ships coming from the capital or even from other countries. Because fishermen in Mayo have a very traditional fishing style that has much lower impact, but they can't compete with larger ships. So 
all of these discussions, you know, on the beach over the years, building trust. And um, in parallel, we worked with the government to design these protected areas with the input from the. Then we reached a point. Okay, we now have these nice lines of a map of where the protected areas are. We have everybody on board, but we don't have the resources really. The government of Cape Verde doesn't have the resources to patrol these areas, to monitor them, to collect scientific data. Very costly, very requires a lot of skill. So we came up with a new idea, which we called the Guardians of the Sea. The Guardians of the Sea being a group of volunteer fishermen um, that we supported a little bit with training, organizing meetings, providing a bit of fuel for their boats. And they started patrolling the seas as they were fishing and collecting data. So when they saw sharks or whales or dolphins taking notes, sharing all this data with us, when they saw illegal activity, sharing it with us as well. Then we in turn collating it and sharing it with the police and the government. And this went extremely well. And uh, after a few years, the Guardians of, of the Sea even came to us and said, okay, if we are really sold on this. From now on, we're going to keep doing it on a completely volunteer basis. We would love to keep working with, with your support, but we, in any case, we're keeping doing this. This is really important for us and for the islands. And there's not many examples of this succeeding um, globally. So we're very happy with that. And then NGOs and other islands started replicating this model of Guardians of the Sea, and we've organized exchanges between the islands of fishermen so they could share their experiences. And um, yeah, so it's grown now on three other islands in Cape Verde as well. Let's see where it goes. But uh, I love attending those Guardians of the Sea meetings. I find them extremely inspiring. Wow, this is really the spirit of a change maker on the ground and really fighting against, I know, the shark and the plague of shark fin and then all this. Uh, it's really the importance also of protecting against overfishing. And, and the Guardian of the Sea, they are doing a crucial role also to protect their own environment. So their own conservation is not the fortress conservation from abroad, from, I don't know, the Western world or what. It's really impressive. I would stay here for hours listening to your stories. <laughs> I want to ask you, Elisa, now you have given us this wonderful holistic program about the, the logarithm tortoise and the work that they are doing. And again, you know, also the guardians of the sea. What is the way forward for you? Where do you want to take uh, your organization? I would really like is now maybe more collaboration between the islands, maybe unifying our efforts all together with all the other NGOs on the other islands and the academics working on the other islands. There's been a bit of this type of work already these past 10 years in a structure called Paola, where all the players working on turtles and Cape Verde come together once a year at a big meeting where they share their work, their results, and make sure everything is streamlined and everybody can learn from each other. That's been very powerful also to then push the government to pass some laws for turtle protection. And I would love it if we could take this much further, maybe as a first step, make it for all marine work in Cape Verde, and then maybe later on for all conservation in Cape Verde. And then maybe start collaborating more with other West African NGOs. FMB has had exchanges with Mauritanian NGOs, for example. So we can learn so much from each other. And, and it can be feel a bit sometimes isolating when you work in your remote place and you feel like you're constantly fighting. Some 
sometimes for 10 years before you see results and can be depressing. If you can all work together, you not just learn from each other, but you also motivate each other. And seeing other people's passion revives your own passion and prevents you from getting discouraged. That I would love for it to go in that direction. I love the quote. It's really this togetherness. Also the spirit of the, let us say, also the SDG 17 and others. You know, we are at a big meetings. So it's really important because there are uh, that area is one of the area of the still, I think one uh, that coast of West Africa, Mauritania and Guinea and Capo Verde, Senegal is, is one of the hotspots of biodiversity for marine life. It's really important your call for action on this uh, conservation that brings together all the actors and especially for the islands of Capo Verde, we know islands and also they have particular and then there are many other archipelagos in that region which they are also important for marine conservation. So it's really something that can be brought together. Also from my experience in the Bijagos archipelago, I have seen a lot of uh, need no, for, for the work to preserve still pristine, but under threat environments. Wonderful, wonderful. I mean, I really like, I'm getting excited because that is also my passion. And I want to ask, you know, we are... Uh, almost, you know, winding up our discussion. And uh, I want to ask you a bit uh, to, to give the people that are listening to us, you shared a wonderful story, your message, your call to action for who is listening to us all over the planet. I'll expand a bit on this idea of togetherness and of working together to say that nature conservation, protecting nature is not just a job of biologists. It's not just job of NGOs, it's everybody's job. And I learned it myself in my own career. It's an interdisciplinary field. Everybody needs to participate. The fishermen of Mayo, they can protect sharks as much as they want. If big factory trailer ships from the EU or from China keep going by the archipelago, all of the efforts will be for nothing. So in all parts of society, from businesses to governments, two NGOs, two local communities, everybody needs to work on, on this together. And um, for myself, that's what I'm trying to do as well. FMB is now running perfectly well uh, on its own with their wonderful director and, and managers. And I've now moved more to the business side of things to develop sustainability there and keep working on this all together. Thank you so much. I think now that is also... The, the importance, and I like your message with the holistic nature, you know, conservation is not the work of NGOs, but the work of everybody. And I like what you said at the end, also the role of business, because we are, and this is one of the key tenets of this podcast, you know, the role of business as a force for good. Elisa, I have no word to thank you. I mean, such an inspiring story when the eyes are brightened and then you see the power and the light and the fire for conservation and protection of this critical area that is coming from you. So I'm really pleased of your time with us. And then I'm sure we will want to also to have you in the future to see how your work is going. But thank you so much. Thank you to you as well. Thank you. A big pleasure. Are you satisfied after this wonderful episode? Let's continue together our sustainability journey.